So for anyone who listens to the rest of this, if we decide to post it, um, what is this? The, the, uh, this is article in Think Progress that there's uh, four environmental students released the Climate Science Bill of Rights. It's Climate Science Students Bill of Rights, a document that the groups hope will help them rally support around the next generation science standards from companies, scientific organizations, and local active. Yeah, there's a, there's a group that's going to come up with a great set of standards. Companies, scientific organizations, and local activists. Uh, yeah, so we, we have businesses and whatever their incentives are on this issue. Scientific organizations, which usually just means uh, bureaucrats who aren't very good at science, but like having the authority of science. And then local activists, which means usually people with too much time on their hands, uh, wanting to feel good about themselves by following the popular and usually destructive cause of the moment. And then students, parents, teachers, I don't know which students, which parents, and which teachers. But students have five rights when it comes to climate education, including education free from ideological or political interference and exploring the causes and consequences of climate change. And then there's the climate parents is the group. Everyone has to have a clever name. Uh, and yeah, the climate bill of rights. And here it is. It is unacceptable for students to be denied information about this crisis. Young people need to be given the tools to develop solutions, unquote, to help solve the problem of climate change. So the Un, free from ideological interference position is that there is a climate crisis. And, and this, is just, this is just stated as if you just open up the window and there's a climate crisis. As long as 97% of uh, counted scientists agree. Yeah, and the, but the counted papers in that case are yeah. things that say that, that humans have any climate impact. Yeah. Not that there's a crisis. I don't know. The word crisis doesn't appear too many times in any of those papers. Uh, it's just, it's remarkable how, how dogmatic this thing is. And I'm just looking at the news today. That's what, that's what strikes me is just how, how allegedly scientific technological groups groups motivated by that in the case of Apple which we can talk about uh, groups that have m massive technological achievement that there's just so much dogma uh, about about this where I mean you know, a kid might ask what if he studied any kind of history what is the what is the crisis exactly today it seems like we're pretty well off and it seems like people in previous generations are pretty badly off. And what exactly is going on? Uh, so it's, 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 I mean, I think the, the point you made at the beginning is, is fundamental in terms of once government gets involved in education, once government determines what ideas are true, what ideas are false, including what ideas are, quote, free from ideological or political interference, and then proceeds to use its own political. Uh, ideas according to its own ideology, then you get this this kind of propaganda. But it is, um, and it's been tremendously destructive already. I deal with tons of, of students or former students who have been quote unquote taught this stuff, and once they learn the the full picture, and I I was taught it as well, they're extremely angry that they were being brainwashed. The idea that this is a right 
you know, right to be uh, brainwashed by the particular environmentalist propaganda of the day. Uh, that is a wrong. All right. Yeah, and there's also like the Union of Concerned Scientists is involved in this alliance that pushes his students below rights. Um, yeah, I mean, those are the those guys have been the anti-nuclear guys for decades. Yeah, they are, you know, completely objective, no political implications in it, of course. Their main achievement is coming up with a very clever name. Union, <laughs> Union of Concerned Scientists. Um, yeah, it's vague enough not to mean anything particular. At least they don't say they're Union of Good Scientists. Yeah, or objective scientists. And no. They're um, concerned, not objective. Yeah, the Union of Concerned Propagandists would be much more accurate. Um, I think someone called them Union of Concerned Lawyers or something because most of the administrators aren't actually scientists, but are in the legal business. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that, that, that wouldn't surprise me, although. Uh, this goes to the point that uh, just the the idea that the profession, being in the profession of quote-unquote scientist, as in having anything to do with any physical science, the idea that that is a qualification that gives you esteem is so dubious. Like, wh why? It, it means at most you're trying. It's not like we have a bunch of Copernicuses running around in all these fields. Um, and I mean, I'm just trying to think, even with doctor, I mean, doctor, you can say they have a whole licensing thing, which is a whole problematic thing in and of itself that leads to a lot of stuff. They're just, I've been to flat out bad doctors. Like, I mean, I'm in. I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu for fun, and one thing that comes up, unfortunately, there is just different skin ailments come up because you have a lot of physical contact. And I've been to a couple di different dermatologists, and some of them are just really, really bad. They just don't know what the hell they're doing. They're incredibly superficial and almost be better if you looked it up on WebMD. And then some are amazing. They just have such a have such a, a developed context that they, they can just diagnose things super quickly and correct themselves if they make mistakes. Uh, so just the idea of, oh, he's a doctor, he must be right. No, you know, doctors individually are wrong all the time. And then the medical profession, um, you know, over time has been wrong in a lot of ways. And um, uh, as was pointed out recently at a, the Objectivist Conference by Greg Salmieri, the philosopher, that you know, it took many, many centuries for even the medical profession to, in general, be right uh, about things. Even, you know, although it can get any given thing uh, wrong. So, you know, scientist just means somebody related to physical sciences. So the fact that somebody, in, and these are all the kids you've gone to school with, with all the issues that those people have. So, you know, anyone can be in some kind of physical science and not be very good at it or not be, uh, or, or just, and then, and then join any activist organization that has either nothing to do with his original thing or very little. So you have all these anti-nuclear activists who don't know anything about nuclear power or who are, are just ideologically against that kind of, uh, any kind of basic technology that's new and transformative. And 
you know, maybe they have a degree in biology. Who the hell cares? What was that? A, it's, it's all it is is now a religious designation, in in used as a political tool. It's a religious designation, it's saying like, here's a bishop X it says nuclear power is bad, so you you should follow. Yeah, and this plays into what uh, Richard Feynman actually called cargo card science. You know, whether these, uh, these um, primitive island inhabitants uh, have seen during World War II uh, these cargo planes landing um, when, you know, American naval operations required supplies uh, and they made these island hopping operations. And um, even today, there are some primitive tribes who try to, uh, you know, uh, contact the gods with uh, something like uh, stone microphones and to try to send them messages so more planes would land and bring in supplies. So mm -hmm. you're just, you know, you, you're formally recreating the situation and it looks scientific, but it doesn't necessarily have to do anything with science. Mm -hmm. and that's the reference cargo card science. So the stone microphones don't actually aren't actually attached to a radio that actually does anything, but they try to do this symbolic gesture to, because they don't understand why the planes landed when these strange people, you know, sat in their towers and communicated somehow. Mm -hmm. All right, let's cover a couple of other things. So we have this uh, Apple thing. So Apple put out this report, um, which is probably all over the news. I've seen it a couple of different places already this morning. And... I think it jumps, well, there's a couple things that jump out, but one thing that jumps out is just this claim that's made with no explanation at all, uh, which is fully 145 of Apple's U.S. retail stores are powered using 100% renewable energy, as are all of its data centers. Where Where is that coming from? Um, I've seen some analysis of this, and uh, it appears that they buy some kind of carbon credit you know, to compensate for the local grid fossil fuels that they use. And then they just claim, you know, we have 100% renewable energy. Yes. And in some... This is a lie. Yeah, it's, you know, like uh, tr uh, like accounting tricks. That's... Yeah, and, and and the same is to some extent true uh, for the uh, production facilities, actually, because um, they have like these large solar arrays and they actually produce a large part of their power on site. But in most cases, or in all cases that I have seen, they actually have a connection to the local grid and um, also buy carbon credits um, because uh, you can't just, you know, 100% run on solar energy because the solar array will not provide the exact amount of energy you need in your local grid. And then they have some storage, and but they are, have also exchanged with the local grid infrastructure, which predominantly runs on fossil fuels or nuclear in most cases. Wait, so which is this last one they're talking about? Um, you mean the solar grid thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. That's actually in the article, I think. Um, so, I mean, they, they talk about, they talk about the, they're talking, I mean, at least three things they're talking about. They're talking about the stores. They're talking about the data centers. 
they're talking about their own campus, and then they're talking about manufacturing. Um, yeah, let me just look this up. Um... All right, well, while you're looking that up, I'm going to just comment a little bit more on this. So I had an article about this. I think my article the, about the cloud and coal, if you search cloud, coal, Alex Epstein, Forbes, it should come up. We'll, we'll, post, it, um, we'll post it on the website, industrialprogress.com, uh, for, for today's power search. Um, but the basic idea is that, let's just say that maybe, maybe, 25% of the total electricity used on one of these given things comes from solar and wind. We can talk about hydro in a minute, but, uh, and so if that, and, and that's coming in unreliably. So for example, at night when these data centers have a lot of use, the solar power is providing absolutely nothing, so, which means that the things really doing the heavy lifting are the gas or the coal or the usually nuclear or sometimes the hydro. So to then, so really it's, it's, you know, as I've said before, it's like coal, solar, gas, solar. It's not really solar. So to say you're, if you rely, and those things rely to work, that whole system relies 100% on the fossil fuel or the nuclear or the hydro. So to, to act as if you're using 100% solar, what that means is that you're just saying, well, let's say, let's say you use 25% of the total electricity. And 25% of the total electricity comes from solar. But the 25% you used is very different from the 25% that comes from solar. And the 25% that comes from solar is dependent on the network. It is dependent on the fossil fuel. So essentially, if people are saying, well, there's a good 25% and a bad 75%, what Apple is doing is it's paying for the right to claim that it's do using the good 25%. But it's doing no such thing any more than anyone else is. So it is paying for an unearned moral stature and it is paying to morally denigrate the other people on the network because then they have to say they're using less solar. So it's, it's, it's a completely immoral thing to do and it's immoral by this wrong standard of, of CO2 emissions as a measure of morality or immorality. But then it's, it's also immoral because it promotes the idea that, oh, if you're using 100%, everyone should. So it, pr it promotes the idea that uh, the focus should be reducing fossil fuel use and that Apple is technological innovator is showing that it's possible, whereas they're really showing, uh, you know, the moral character, at least of the you know, Tim Cook uh, administration, if he understands this. And if he doesn't, then somebody should bring it uh, to his attention because it's, it's extremely unethical. Uh, just on a local level in terms of the, what the company is doing, but it's it's much more unethical in terms of the global implications and what they're signing on to. Uh, did you find the thing you were looking up? Um, yeah, it's actually uh, the uh, Data Storage Center in North Carolina in Leiden. Um, and they use this, uh, I think they have now um, a third large solar farm there. Um, they use something like bloom boxes, which are apparently uh, biogas um, power plants um, to compensate for the volatility. And they also have a, a grid connection to Duke Energy, 
which I think in this region predominantly uses fossil fuels. So they are selling Duke part of their energy and receiving back energy. So it's it's a mixed churn. It's not actually 100% um, renewable. And the uh, biogas they use comes from landfills. So that's also an accounting trick, I would say. How so? Um, well, you're not using something that is genuinely renewable, quote unquote. You're using landfill gas and not solar and wind. And, and you're also connected to Duke Energy. So you're using fossil fuels directly from the power grid in in, during times when you can't use the local production. Yeah, and I, I don't know too much about the you know, landfill gas economics, and I think it's more common in Europe than it is uh, in the U.S. And with any of these things, and if they're good technologies, that's great. But in they're, they're India, big. it's actually big. So what, what's that? In India, it's actually big to use like uh, waste incineration and such things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's it's just I mean, on a local level, it's just a question of is this economic, but we know that Apple is doing this overwhelmingly for political purposes, and in particular a couple of years ago Greenpeace attacked them and they've been uh, focused on that ever since. And the thing to do, I mean, it, it's just the, the, the danger again is them, them promoting a certain political message, them using their standing as a technology company to say to the world, yes, this is the technological direction we should go in with energy, when they are often doing things that are completely unscalable, and that in fact are are the result of them being rich, so they they can afford to buy this, you know, these credits or this this uh, stamp of approval. Oh, you're using so much renewable because they're willing to pay extra, um, or may, if they're I don't know if their biogas facility is efficient, but if it wasn't, they could afford. Uh, to do it, but that's different from they've found a cheaper way uh, of doing things, and I don't see anything here about the actual cost uh, of these things. All right, final. So yeah, Apple. I love your products. And do not, but you're using my love and other people's love and admiration for your company to do to just send a horrible technological message about the future of energy technology. Um, you know, a deadly message. All right, well, let's just do last story. So what's, uh, I'll let you talk about this one, uh, Ted Cruz and federal land. Um, yeah, Senator Ted Cruz, who is uh, somewhat uh, famous on the right-leaning side of politics, um, at least, um, has added an amendment to the Bipartisan Sportsman Act of 2014. Um, and he seeks to force the federal government to sell off much of the federal land owned by the federal government. Um, and the idea is uh, to um, let the federal government not own more than 50% of the land of any given state. And if they own more of uh, that state, which is the case, I think, in Utah, Oregon, and Alaska, um, they have to either give it to the state 
government or uh, sell it to the highest bidder. Um, I don't know actually what the chances chances are of this uh, getting through Congress, but it would be at least an improvement in my estimate. It's not it's far from perfect because it doesn't really matter whether the state or the federal government owns the land, but it would be an improvement. We have seen recently uh, that the Obama administration has uh, designated much of the federally owned land as uh, wildlife refugees, where um, oil and gas drilling is banned for the most part, um, and additional environmental regulations uh, can be applied. And uh, getting that kind of land out of the hand of at least federal politicians, if not all politicians, would be a great thing. Isn't it? Yeah, and there's just such a nationalization of land by Teddy Roosevelt, mostly. And, yeah, it's just, I mean, just the government depriving people of their right to make use of it. And, and I look at this, I clicked on the link from Think Progress, where this, I think, overall very destructive site, but that is we follow because it's a good way of keeping up with a lot of the attacks on industry uh, and progress, actually. And it, this the title, Ted Cruz launches Senate fight to auction off America's public lands. And then the picture, of course, is Yellowstone National Park. So the idea is, well, there's Ted Cruz is going to sell Yellowstone to Walmart, and they're just going to build another Walmart uh, there. Leaving aside what exactly should be the property status of Yellowstone, um, there's just endless things that are in no way you know, unique landmarks. And if they were, people would buy them and people would enjoy them as unique landmarks. But it's just, you know, you just fly over the United States and you can just see how much undeveloped stuff there is. And a lot of that is place, potentially places where people could um, be really productive. You know, with existing technologies, you get lots and lots of uh, resources, and we talked about this with uh, the North Pole, but this is this is opportunity that is being deprived of people today uh, to improve their lives. And just to make the point about the future, that also you know the more we're doing of that today, the more the technology develops, the more new kinds of things we can make into resources, the more general progress we can make. So yeah, this this would be a very good, and I'm I'm glad it's been. A huge issue for me for a long time, just the, the nationalization of land and how much power that gives government and how disempowering it is to individuals. So that, as far as I can tell, good job, uh, Ted Cruz. Any Anything else, Stefan? Um, just to add to that, uh, we have seen in recent news uh, that while the shale gas or shale oil and gas revolution has led to uh, massive increases in U.S. domestic production, uh, the production on federal lands actually has declined. So every time politicians get the chance to influence that, um, you're at the whim of the politicians. Um, they can make decisions whether you are able to produce or not for no good reason. Mm -hmm. And that there's no reason to believe that the federal lands... Um, shouldn't have an oil and gas boom as well. Yeah, good points. All right, well, this is a weird episode today because we just sort of jumped right into it. But uh, 
Anyway, I hope that was enjoyable. It was a little long, but as always, questions, comments, love mail, hate mail, you can get me at alex at industrialprogress.net, Stefan, S-T-F-F-E-N, at industrialprogress.net. Stefan, I will talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Thank you.